There was this one person who told me, says, whenever I want to hear the truth, I come to you. And my response, well, you know, you don't come to me that often. I mean, the bottom line is that if you have your truth, you're not looking or interested in a truth that is different than the truth you have. And this is the challenge that we have with us today as we're dealing with family members, loved ones, co-workers, acquaintances. The truth has a tendency, it's gonna do one or two things. The truth is either going to set you free or it's gonna drive you away. <laughs> I'll say that again. The truth is either going to set you free or it's going to drive you away. You'll be set free if you take that truth and apply it. If you don't, eventually, what's going to happen, you're going to get dull of hearing. And you're going to go and seek something that's going to itch your ears. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Mysteries or secrets of the kingdom were revealed to Yeshua's disciples, but were hidden from Satan and the masses who did not have ears to hear the teachings Yeshua presented. Before Yeshua began to teach in parables, he taught in clear, simple, everyday speech to the people, beginning with the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. When Yeshua started teaching in parables, it required his listeners to inquire further for understanding. This separated those who wanted an understanding from those who did not. In this teaching, Yeshua speaks parables to the masses, but reveals to his disciples the kingdom plan. Yeshua exposes the counterfeit plan and deceptive work of the enemy of sowing seeds to compete for the souls of men, and he explains the end-time kingdom game plan of reaping the harvest. Today's study title is Mysteries of the Kingdom, Sowers and Reapers. So, let's study. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 13. We're looking at verses 24 through 43, mysteries of the kingdom. And we're talking about sowers and reapers. As we sent out this week in our email, and those of you who are part of our email list, you would have gotten this email where we talked about the giving you a synopsis or some insight in a sense of what we're going to be discussing in these teachings. And Mysteries or secrets, as they are defined of the kingdom, are revealed to or were revealed to Yeshua's disciples, but were hidden from Satan and the masses who did not have ears to hear the teachings Yeshua presented. That's still going on today, brothers and sisters. Before Yeshua began to teach in parables, he taught in clear, simple, everyday speech to the people beginning with the Beatitudes and the Sermons on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And so it wasn't until chapter 13. Now, up until chapter 13, Yeshua spoke in a manner to where anyone who heard him speak, it was very clear, concise, and it wasn't until he gets into chapter 13 
that he begins to speak in parables. Now, at this point, he has experienced opposition from people. He had been challenged by people, and he was speaking to many people who really wasn't interested in what he had to say because they already had their belief. They already had their doctrine. When Yeshua started teaching in parables, now think about it, that if you're dealing with the people who really aren't interested in hearing what you say, and then you start speaking in parables, which will require them to inquire what you're saying, then those who aren't interested in hearing what you got to say is certainly not going to inquire. But those that are, they're going to know that you've said something that they want to know more about, and what are they going to do? They're going to ask. Some of you heard me tell you a few years ago, I haven't said this in a long time now, there was this one person who told me, says, whenever I want to hear the truth, I come to you. And my response, well, you know, you don't come to me that often. I mean, the bottom line is that if you have your truth, you're not looking or interested in a truth that is different than the truth you have. And this is the challenge that we have with us today as we're dealing with family members, loved ones, coworkers, acquaintances. The truth has a tendency, it's going to do one or two things. The truth is either going to set you free or it's going to drive you away. <laughs> I'll say that again. The truth is either going to set you free or it's going to drive you away. You'll be set free if you take that truth and apply it. If you don't, eventually what's going to happen you're going to get dull of hearing and you're going to go and seek something that's going to itch your ears. This is one of the reasons why, and hopefully after this teaching today, you'll understand why I take certain types of stands and preach as hard as I do, even knowing that there may be individuals who are going to get bothered by something that I have to say. There have been people who you could consider, depending on however you look at it, who would be major donors, if you would, major contributors. And I know that Father has given me things to speak that would bother them. I know. There have been some folks who have been big supporters of our ministry who are no longer here. Why? Because I wouldn't compromise and say what they wanted to hear, knowing that what I was going to say, they were going to have issues with. When you're looking to those people to provide for you, then what you will do is you will appease those people. When you look to the Almighty to provide for you, then you will speak what he gives you. And let the chips fall where they may. Because here's the deal. The truth is going to either set you free or it's going to drive you away. <laughs> That's what will happen. And you will find that Yeshua's teachings drove more people away 
than he drew. That's just the reality of the matter. He drove more people away in his teachings than he drew to himself. So when he got to chapter 13, he began to speak in parables and it required his listeners to inquire further for understanding. This separated those who wanted an understanding from those who didn't. In this teaching, the mysteries of the kingdom, sowers and reapers, Yeshua speak parables to the masses, but revealed to his disciples the kingdom plan. He exposes the counterfeit plan and deceptive work of the enemy of sowing seeds to complete or to compete for the souls of men. And he explains the end time kingdom game plan of reaping the harvest. Now, as we discussed last week and a few weeks ago, Yeshua's language to refer to people in ways that are unique. In other words, he spoke to humans or he referred to humans in non-human language. He refers to people as ground, the soil, if you would, rocky ground, wayside ground, thorny ground, good ground. You don't speak about people in that terminology. You speak about people in people terminology so the people who are listening to you don't have to figure out or guess what you're saying. So here he is talking about seed, but he's talking about the word. He's talking about ground, but he's talking about people. And so people who are hearing him, it's like they think, okay, he's, he's talking about planting stuff and sowing stuff. And then he's speaking in the midst of the fact that he's got a bunch of fishermen following him. Fishermen understand about fish, but farmers understand sowing and reaping and planting. When you start talking to farmers about fishing and they don't know about fishing, then you're going to be talking to them in language that is not necessarily familiar, and they would have to inquire of fishermen. He spoke about fields as people. Matter of fact, he's going to tell us that the field is the world. Fish. He tells his disciples who are fishermen that they're going to be fishers of men. Men referred to as trees. Wheat and tare. And we're going to deal with that one today. Good seed and bad seed. Sheep and goats. Referring to humans. Harvest. Referring to who? Humans. And this is the language that he's speaking about, which he could simply say, listen, when you go out and you talk about the kingdom and you preach the gospel of the kingdom, then you'll reach souls. That's the simple way of putting what he's saying. And then giving them some illustrations or instructions on how or what not to do or how to do it and how to analyze the effect that the ministry that he's preaching these, to these people would have. You'll see the results. The word is referred to as seed. It'll be referred to as water. And in other terms, mainly seed and water. The mysteries of the kingdom is revealed by Yeshua to his disciples in various teachings in this passage and in others. And mainly we're going to look at how he's talking about the kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of heaven is like The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. 
The kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, like unto a net. Kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. Kingdom is like a man that is a householder which bring went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. So if you're the householder, you would understand if you're the guy who's going out looking for merchants or looking for people to work in your vineyard. You would understand that parable, maybe. If you were a king looking to make a marriage for his son, then you would understand that. But if you're not the king, if you're not the merchant, if you're not the householder, you would have to try to figure out what is he saying? Why don't he just speak plain, simple Hebrew so that I can understand what he's saying instead of having to figure stuff out? Well, he talked like that up until the point to where the people just decided that they weren't going to follow what he was saying. And now his disciples is like, you know, why you change your methodology of speaking? Why are you speaking differently than you were before? Why are you talking to the people in parables? Understand also that from the time of the garden, when the Almighty said the seed of the woman will crush his head, the, the serpent seed will bruise his heel, from that moment until Messiah, how Father was going to bring that word, that prophecy to pass, was hidden in a way to where people couldn't see it, and there where he revealed about the prophet, about the Mashiach, about the one that he would raise up, many read into it indicating that this Messiah was going to come from the household of David, and David's house was a house of royalty, which meant that the Messiah would come as a king. So in their mind, Messiah is coming at a king, and the way he came, they didn't see him coming. <laughs> Why? Because it was spoken to where those who sought out. Now, during the time of Yeshua's ministry, there were those who said, this has got to be the guy. Why? Because look at what he's doing. This has got to be him. But those in charge were saying, no, this is the devil's work. He's doing the, the ministry of casting out demons by the power of the devil. There's no way in the world he could be that one because he certainly don't look like royalty. He certainly didn't come from the palace. He doesn't dress like a king. They had these preconceived ideas of how the Almighty was going to do what he was going to do when he revealed it to those who searched the scriptures and when he dealt with the Pharisees, he says, listen, search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. Because you think you have eternal life, but what the scriptures that you have will reveal is who I am. It speaks of me. So the question is, is how could those who be teaching not recognize the teacher? because they were teaching something else. 
And it's going to be the same thing for the generation, whatever generation it is when Messiah comes. Why? Because those who are preaching and teaching their denominational gospels, they already have a preconceived idea of how he's going to come. Some are even predicting when he's going to come and all the things that must happen before he comes and what he's going to do when he comes. The only people who are going to be in tune with him are those who stay in tune with his word. In this parable, Yeshua will explain or interpret the parable of sowers and reapers, but will also speak two other parables in verses 31 and 33 without giving an explanation. And based on how he wedges it in between, we can get some idea even though he don't explain it. Another parable, verse 24, put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Now, the previous parable, he talked about sowing seed. He talked about how that seed is going to produce. That seed, if it's an actual seed, is going to produce fruit. If it's an actual seed that it's put into the ground, it's going to cause a plant to come up, and that plant is going to produce fruit from that plant. But he's not talking about that kind of seed. He's talking about the word as a seed. If you plant, and one of the things I'm going to challenge you at the end of this teaching that I'll start challenging you now, is that if you don't understand planting a seed in the ground, nurturing that seed, watering that seed, and then taking something off of the plant once it matures, you'll be totally dumbfounded in what Yeshua is saying. Take, for instance, you take a tomato seed and you plant it in the soil. When that plant grows, it's not going to have one tomato on it. How can one seed produce a plant that has all these tomatoes? And however many tomatoes it produces is going to be determined by how you dealt with that seed when you planted it. How does that apply to us? If I sow the word into you, then how do you produce 30, 60, and 100 fold? See, it all goes back to discipleship. The word sowed here is spiro, to sow, to scatter seed. And then it's also a proverbial saying because he's using it as a proverbial saying or in this case, a parable. Interestingly, the seed is sperma. The word seed is where you get the reproduction or the sperm which actually reproduces. From which a plant germinates, the seed, the grain, a kernel which contains within itself the germ of the future plants, of the grain or kernel sown, residue of a few survivors, it goes off into that. But then this next one, the semen viral, the product of this semen is going to be seed, children, offspring, progeny, family, race, posterity, whatever possesses vital force or life-giving power. That's the Greek word for the, you know, I'm not making this stuff up, folks. If you look up the word seed in the Greek, the last thing you would think about seed is being sperm. 
but the first time it's mentioned as far as the seed of the woman, what do you think is going to be happening there? That woman is not going to be producing a plant. That woman is going to be producing something that is going to crush the seed of the serpent. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. The Bible can be rated R, rated X, PG-13, PG. It all depends on the portion you're looking at. When Yeshua spoke in parables, he had to explain or interpret the parable for it to be understood as he would explain it later to his disciples. The parable was not the message, but like or compared to something. This parable compares good seed being sown, and although the words of bad seed is not used, it's implied. So you got good seed and then you're going to have somebody sowing tear. Well, somebody is sowing something that is not wheat among the wheat. Verse 25. But while men slept, his enemy came and did what? Sowed. What they sow? Tares among the wheat and went his way. Now, in some places, they have a different term, weed. What we call weed are seed-producing plant. A lot of what we call weed is actually herbs. Just because you don't know, like even some of the dandelion. Now, it, it was a long time. It wasn't until I got on this path that I was informed that you could actually eat dandelion. I mean, you got people out there contracting cancer, trying to kill it by using this Roundup to try to kill something that is going to continue to come back year after year after year after year. Why? Because it's a seed-bearing herb that reproduces after its kind. Father designed it that way. He designed, I mean, seed reproduction is so powerful that it can break through concrete. It, whatever you put on the ground, seed will find its way through. <laughs> That's how powerful Father's creation is, that even though you try to cover it up, it's going to find its way out. Someone came along and sowed tares, same word. And this tares, this is some interesting stuff. Zizanian, meaning a kind of darnel. Now, the only thing I knew about darnel was some darnels that I grew up with. But when I went to look up tares and saw the Greek and then the meaning behind the Greek, it caused me to search a little further because as far as I've been informed, tares and weed were actually the interpretation. But this Darnell has an interesting information surrounding it. And it's a kind of Darnell resembling wheat except the grains are black. And that's in this particular translation. In another, it gives the impression that it is a purple, a dark purple color. But here's when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. 
so here's what you have. You have two plants that look similar. And the only way you'll tell the difference between the two plants, because up to a certain point, they both look the same until the fruit begins to be produced. When it forms a fruit, then you're able to tell the difference between the wheat and the tear. You can't tell the difference until the fruit forms in the ear. It's an important piece of information. The wheat and tear looked similar in appearance until the fruit appeared. It wasn't until the fruit manifest were they able to tell the difference between the wheat and the tear. Keep in mind, as Yeshua will interpret this parable, that both the wheat and the tear are compared to people. So you see wheat and tear, I want you to see them as people. Because that's where he's getting at, is that these are people. And so you'll have people in the midst of you, they will all look alike, not in the sense that, you know, they're, you know, we all look like Arthur Bailey, as handsome as that guy is. But it's not like that. <laughs> is, is we all look like people. We all look like we're like-minded. We all look like we're on the same path. We all look like we're traveling to glory together. We all look like we believe the same thing. Why? Because we're all assembled in the same place. That's how we will look. But the only way you'll be able to tell the difference between Person A and person B is their fruit. That's the only way you'll know. Because we all look in the sense that as far as humans alike. Are you following me so far? Here is the science behind this darnel, which is a form of ryegrass. And it is lolium temulentum. It's a wheat look-alike until the ear peer and are distinguished as follows. The ears on the real wheat are so heavy that it makes the entire plant droop downward. But the temulentum, whose ears are light, stands straight up. Wheat ripens to a brown color, whereas the tear, temulentum, turns black. And the source is... is lucidcentral.org the environmental and other impacts and this is where it gets really interesting is this is a weed the tear of wheat it's like a wheat weed if you would but it's a counterfeit a few grains of this plant will adversely affect crop quality according to this website its seeds are poisonous to people and livestock it is very difficult to separate the seeds from those of what other small grain crops as they are similar in size and weight. Temulentum can be a host to a variety of crop pests and disease. So here's the picture. Two people in an assembly. One is wheat, the other is tare. The tear can affect the wheat unless the wheat 
is solid. It can cause disease. It can cause pests. And there's some interesting things that is taking place underneath the surface. Because what you see above the surface, it looks like one of us. What's happening below the surface, you can't see. That's the thing about seed and plants that grow. So when this happened, the servants of the householder came and said unto him, now he's talking a parable, Sir, did not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then had the tares? He said unto them, An enemy has done this. So here we go again, back into assembly. You've got individuals who is the seed of the Almighty, and you got individuals who is the seed of the, as he's going to reveal to us later, who that seed belongs to. It's an enemy. So in the midst of the body, the enemy has planted seed. You can't tell from looking at it. The only way you'll be able to distinguish the wheat from the tear is what? The fruit. It's when it starts talking, when it starts acting, it's behavior patterns. You won't be able to tell any other way because it all looks similar. This word root up, root out, pluck up, because he's going to say, an enemy has done this. The servant said unto him, will you then that we go and gather them up? In other words, he's saying, there's wheat, you plant it, and there's tear. It's only logical for us to go and weed out the tear. But he says, nope, because while you're out there weeding out or rooting out the tear, you will also root up wheat. Here's where below the surface you can't see. A mystery here is that underneath the surface, the soil, there is a mingling of roots. There's an interconnection that is hidden. In other words, the tear that's growing up with the wheat has interconnected with the roots of the wheat. They've made a connection. They may become friends. They may be hanging out in secret. You don't know about it because everything they're doing is not up front. When they leave your presence and they go into their own world, they're doing their own thing. You have no clue. You see. In fact, sometimes they will set apart or do things to throw you off. Because you can't see that interconnection, but it's there. So this is hidden, a relationship developing, whereas to separate or uproot the tares from the wheat, you inadvertently and unintentionally root up the wheat in the process of trying to separate the tear from it. Plucking or pulling up weed or tares from a garden inadvertently pull up or uproot the actual planted seed that has sprouted in the process. 
let's take this into the sperm realm with your children. Let's go there. You have a child. You want to put the right stuff in them. Child gets connected with someone who don't have the right stuff in them. You become concerned. You go to separate that child from that friend. That's their best friend now. To speak against the best friend is going to cause problems for the child. Because now you're trying to determine their friends for them. You're trying to determine their relationship. You don't know them. But, but they're nice to me. Yeah. Now, if you've never had a child, you don't know what I'm talking about. Just like if you've never planted a garden, you don't know what I'm talking about. There are some things, there are lessons, there are life lessons you learn simply by working the ground. I find it interesting that the Almighty planted a garden and then he put the man in the garden. He took the man out of the land and put the man in the garden. And when man messed up, what did he do? He put him back in the land. And what he had to do, he still had to sow and reap. Except now, he's amongst a lot of tear. I doubt very seriously a father had tear in the garden. Now, we don't know. The only tear we find in the garden is the sower of tear. He was in there. And that one got him, Mr. and Mrs. Adam, removed. <laughs> when I planted my garden, and should have put herbs grew, <laughs> call them weed. But how I many of you know grass is not a weed? It's an herb. You don't necessarily have to plant grass unless you go and destroy what's already there, take it up, and you plant the kind of grass you want. But I have this maple trees, and you know, in the beginning of the year, the seed and the trees turn brown, and they start coming down like these little whirly birds. And these things were all over the yard. Now, I'm, I'm planting my garden. I go out there, I till it up, I weed it out, <laughs> I make my rows plant my seed, go out and water it, check it out from time to time, and all of a sudden, I start seeing these little maple trees growing in my garden. Now, this is bothering me because I want a pristine garden with no weed, especially no maple trees growing in my garden. So what did I do? I go out, and I start pulling them up. And in one particular case, one of my plants came up. It was there that this message came back to me. I'd read this some time ago. It came back to me. And the tendency is you want to go out there and pull those things up. But in the process, because something has happened underneath the soil. Underneath the soil, there's some interconnections. There's a relationship that has been developed underneath the soil that the moment you try to pull that one thing up, you inadvertently pulling up whatever the relationship connection has developed. 
I remember, and I've shared this with you, back in Michigan, we had a situation where I had to administer what Messiah calls church discipline. You go to the person who has done the wrong, you take two or three witnesses, and if they refuse to hear you or re refuse to hear the witness, take it before the, the congregation, and if they refuse to listen to the congregation, then of course you gotta deal with that issue. But notice, it doesn't say put them out. It says treat them like an unbeliever. If you look at the disciplinary process, you treat them like an unbeliever. What do you think is going to happen if you're treating a person who claims to be a believer like an unbeliever? Eventually, they're not going to want to be in that environment. And what will happen? They'll leave. Because if we preach the letters, the gospel, see, the gospel was written in a letter form, not in chapters and verses. If Matthew wrote a gospel to the believers, then the believers want to read the letter from the beginning all the way to the end to understand what Matthew is communicating. You don't jump in the middle of Matthew at the end of Matthew or somewhere in between the middle and the end or the beginning and the middle or the beginning and the end and start cutting and pacing and preaching from there because that's not how Matthew wrote it. That's not how Mark or John or Luke or Paul or any other writer in the book. But it doesn't stop people from doing it. And by doing it, there are things you will never cover, you will never address. There are messages that are embedded in his word that forces you to have to deal with you. It certainly has forced me to have to deal with me. That's if I do a systematic study of the word. Now, I can dance all around it and find my favorite passages and the things that I like and ignore the things that I don't like because I can say, well, that don't apply to me and that don't apply to me, but I like this. That's my favorite portion of the Bible, my favorite passage of scripture. It's my go-to. The fact of the matter, brothers and sisters, is that's not how the Bible is given to us. That's not how the Torah is given to us. And if we go through it from beginning to end, if I got a lust problem, you know what? It's going to be addressed. If I got a lying issue, guess what? It's going to be addressed. If I got some perversion, guess what? It's going to be addressed. I'm forced to address it because the Bible addresses Every issue and area of life that pertains to us affect us as a community of believers and even as individuals. So while I'm out there pulling up these maple, these small, because you know, the maple trees are big trees. And even if I didn't have a garden, I wouldn't want all those maple trees growing in my yard. Too many of them. But anyway... I decided that I would let it go. My garden looks a mess. It does. But what I see is that there are certain plants that has outgrown the other stuff I didn't plant. There's stuff in there that I didn't plant, and there are things that I did plant, and it's like growing 
out of the things that I didn't plant. Now, I don't like the way it looked, but I've come to the conclusion that if I want to harvest, <laughs> I best to leave it alone. So Messiah says in this parable concerning the man who had the servant come to him, he says, no, let both of them grow together. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. Let me tell you something. If somebody comes in the midst of us that ain't right, they'll eventually expose themselves. How? Their fruit. And with the kind of preaching that goes forth, they'll start squirming after a while. <laughs> I said, you know, I don't know if I agree with all this stuff. I, I know you got to find some place where they, where they agree with. Isn't that amazing? I can't tell you how many people who have told me Father sent them here and they left and they didn't leave because Father told them to leave. They left because they got offended. They left because they got bothered. They left because they got upset. They heard something they didn't agree with. If you hear something you don't agree with or, you know, that don't apply to you, then what do you do? Leave it be. In this one situation I was telling you about, there was this issue where we had to deal with church discipline. And I confronted the person. And then I wanted the witnesses who brought things to me to address the person before we have to go to another area, another level. It's like you said to me that this didn't happen. So here's what happens. A sister comes to me and tells me that while they were on vacation with this other sister, this other sister hit on them. But not only did the other sister hit on her, they got intimately involved in a hotel room on vacation together. And it just so happened both of them was in the music ministry. So I go to the sister and said, did this happen? No. I go to the other sister who said it did happen and say, will you be willing to go with me with this sister and tell, uh, uh, yes. The other sister didn't want to meet. Come to find out it wasn't the only one that it happened to. So now, this evidence, these witnesses, a refusal to answer or address the issues, we got to have a church meeting. Because you certainly can't be back in the music. You will not be singing. You will not be playing. You will not be involved in this ministry in any way until we get to the bottom of this issue. Do you know I had people that that person had developed relationships with? That inner connection under, underneath? They had issues with me. <laughs> Why you got issues with me? I'm not telling anybody they can't come. I'm not trying to put anybody out. I'm simply trying to address an issue because if you've got a music ministry and all of a sudden you ain't got no music ministry no more, then people got questions why we don't have a music ministry and I can't put that person's business out there in front of those folks. So there's a protocol. And when you begin to follow the protocol that is laid out in scripture, why would people who believe scripture have a problem with the protocol that's laid out in scripture? Unless they got a problem with the scriptures. 
That was my, my life lesson in dealing with saints. Trying to address the issues that the Bible says, you know, if, if we want to see Father's results, we're going to have to do things Father's way. How many people, how many places, how many opportunities have you seen where a person has an offense go to the person who, who offended them, take two witnesses, bring the matter before the body? You don't see that happening. Why? Because people try to get around the process. And because people try to get around the process and do not apply the process that the Almighty says need to be applied, you got all these hurt people in the body and nobody dealing with the real issues of the hurt talking about having deliverance ministry. No, you need to have some correction ministry. You need to start correcting the behaviors of these people that you're allowing to serve, to minister, to preach, to sing, to play. But brother, if we did that, then the church will be empty. Well, we might have some here. At least it'll have people who are sincere. People who want to live right and do right in the sight of the Almighty. What I've come to find is that a lot of people don't fear God. They say they do, but they don't. And if you miss Thursday's teaching the fear of God, I encourage you to go and check it out. So he says, let both of them grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather you together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. See, when harvest time comes, you're not dealing with the root. You're simply putting a sickle to the stalks. You're not pulling anything up. This is tear, this is sweet. Cut the tear out. Cut the tear out. Cut the tear out. When? Harvest time. Who's going to do the harvesting? Not us. It's not about trying to put somebody out as it's about correcting behavior. Those who don't want to be corrected, they're going to have some real issues in life. In the midst of speaking the parable about the wheat and tares, Yeshua gives two more parables. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying the kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh the tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. And so although mustard is an herb, it grows like a tree, but it's still an herb. Another parable spoke he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now notice all of this, the kingdom of heaven is like, not this is what the kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leaven. Now, those of you who bake, it's like, why would he use this term hid in it? Basically, the woman put the meal or put the leaven in. The word conceal is to mingle. She mingled the leaven with the flour. And what do you got? A mingling. You got a mingling. You got something that is happening unbeknownst 
to everybody else. This is why we got to deal with those hidden issues in us. You see, most deceived people deceive themselves. It's not the devil deceiving them. And how do they deceive themselves? They're hearers. They're not doers. They hear it, but when it comes down to practicing it, well, that don't apply to me. Well, you know, surely he didn't mean that. Well, surely that, that, nah, 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 I can't get with that. Okay? And what happens? Refusal to hear what is being said and continue on as if it hasn't been. It happens all the time. It happens with parents and their children or children and their parents. But you know, before you became a parent, you was a child. And some of the same stuff your children, our children are doing to us, we did. Our children lie. It's not like we never lied. How many of you in this room never lied to your mom or dad? You never lied to your parents. You never hid things. See, we've sown some stuff, and our children is like the seed <laughs> that we reap. Now we got to look at them and live, you know, just try to address their issues with they us. <laughs> and I, I tell you, brothers and sisters, I've, I've had to really reevaluate some stuff in me in dealing with my children in order to be able to really help them and handle them the way I should have been handled. Because my parents just simply beat us. It wasn't, no, wasn't a whole lot of talking. It's didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you? Oh, oh you, you ain't gonna do it no more. I know you ain't gonna do it, no. <laughs> That's the way our parents did it, at least mine. I don't know about your parents. What did they teach me? They taught me that. And I've come to realize that there are some children that'll work. Others, that's not how you reach them. Some children, man, I'm going to tell you, you look at them. You give them that, that, that evil eye, and they straighten right up. Others, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's like you can cut down a tree and beat them with it. And they ain't changing a lick. Matter of fact, they get slicker. That's not the way you reach them. And so if you don't have all the tools in your arsenal and know which tools to use at what time, there's your go-to tool. <laughs> And I had a go-to tool, but as I reevaluate, as I think about it and go back and look at, you know, if I was a young parent now, I'd do things a lot different than I did. I really would. I would spend the time. I would talk. I would do the horse, you know, the back, you know, get on the knee, let him ride your back and play, roll around. I do a lot of the stuff that I didn't do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because in looking back, it's like, you know, why didn't I do that? I know why I didn't do it, because it was never done to me. So, hmm. 
And we didn't have the books. And by the time Dr. Spock came along, it's like, man, what this guy talking about? He ain't got no cheering. <laughs> anyway. So the interesting thing about the leaven is it is hidden. And although it is hid, it mingles with the flour and it leavens the whole. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. All these things spake Yeshua unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. Now remember, every time we see prophet or it might be fulfilled, then we want to try to find where it is. And this is one of the reasons why you want to have a good study Bible. Now, I got Bibles that are not study Bibles. And then I have Bibles that have cross-references, and Bibles that indicate that if I saw something like that, that Bible will say to me, based on the verse and the number, and I would go into the columns and find, okay, this is located there, and then go over to that particular passage and identify. This is one of those areas I was a little surprised that Whenever you mention, whenever it's mentioned that it's fulfilled in the prophet, typically it's a prophet's writing. In this particular one, it wasn't in the sense, it's in the Psalms. He says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. Now, he doesn't mention the prophet in this one, but in some places the prophet's name is written, which helps you narrow down where you might find this passage saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. One of the things that I would ask, you know, the Almighty when I'm seeing things like this is, why would you want to hide this? You got these things in their secret. Well, I know why he wants to hide them because you've got an enemy that is trying to sabotage the plan. He's going about. Remember we read earlier that when the seed is sown, when the word is sown in the heart, the enemy comes in the parables of the sower. The enemy comes immediately to steal it. Why do you think he's coming at you to take that word from you? So you will not bear fruit. What happens to people who don't bear fruit? They end up with him. At least kingdom fruit anyway. But he says, these things are kept hidden. The prophet in this passage is Asaph, who wrote the 78th Psalm. And according to 2 Chronicles 29, 30, it says, King Hezekiah and his officials ordered the Levites to praise Jehovah with the words of David and of Asaph, the seer. So they sang praises with gladness and bowed their heads and worshiped. Now, in Psalm 78 says, a maskil or maschil or however you, of Asaph. This is a poem, a poem of Asaph, which is a psalm. Give ear, O my people. Now, some people may try to say, well, Asaph is some kind of musical note. No, Asaph is a person who happens to be a prophet, a seer, according to Second Chronicles. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. 
What are these sayings of old? So here, Yeshua is referring to Asaph, the seer that is in the Psalms. And what is he saying? He's going to speak to this people in a manner to where it's a parable, but what is it? It is a saying, a dark sayings of old. It's not like it's never been spoken. Those who search the scriptures would find it. If the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes had really known their word, they would be able to fact check Yeshua. If they fact checked him, they would know that what he's saying is coming from the scriptures. Remember, there was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, no New Testament, none of that. Had they fact-checked what was coming out of his mouth, it would have taken them right back to, had they known the scriptures. But see, the problem that many of us face, brothers and sisters, is that we're being taught traditions. Those of us who went to church, those of us who grew up in church, those of us who were part of church, we were taught traditions. Why? Because the most, all the churches that I was part of told us that the Old Testament was done away with. And if the Old Testament was done away with and the scriptures was the Old Testament, then where were you taught from? The New Testament. But if there was no New Testament when all these people who is in the New Testament was writing and preaching and teaching, what were they writing, preaching and teaching from? The scriptures. Yeshua told them when he said search the scriptures, he wasn't telling them to search Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and, and Paul. He's saying the scriptures speak of me. If you know the scriptures, you would know me. Search the scriptures and see don't they speak of me. This is what he's saying to them. You think you got an eternal life? Search the scriptures for therein you will find the scriptures speak of me. And who brings eternal life? Yeshua. So how can you have eternal life which comes through Yeshua, which the, the scriptures speak of, and you reject Yeshua? By rejecting Yeshua, you would reject the scriptures. So what do you got? Traditions. Based on scripture. And that's where a great body of church folks are. A great many Jewish believers who reject Yeshua as Messiah and religions of the world who believe that they have the right religion but do not see this book, the Bible, as the word of the Most High. It's not just Christians and Jews. It's Muslims and Buddhists and Sikhs, atheists, the harvest is plentiful, folks. But you got to have the right message. Then Yeshua sent the multitude away. Now notice he's saying, he's quoting the prophet. He said that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then he sent the multitude away and went into the house. Now, if you look at he was in the house. His mother and his brothers came. We don't know if he talked to them or not. Don't seem like he did. Then he went to the lake and he sat. And there were those who came to him. And he started teaching and preaching. 
And then he told them to go away and he went into the house. And I have to conclude that it's the same house he was in before he went. And his disciples came unto him and, and notice, they say, declare unto us the parables of the tares of the field. Now they didn't ask him about the other two parables. He talked about the parable, the kingdom is like a woman who hid leaven. The kingdom is like a mustard seed. But they were only interested in this one parable. They sought understanding of the parable of the tares of the field. Now Yeshua interprets the parable and explains the events of the end time harvest. Verse 37, he answered and said unto them, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. So there's good seed. The field is the world. That's the world of people. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. Are you telling me the devil has children? And where are they? They're among the weak. How do you distinguish them? The tares are the children of the wicked one. I ain't making this stuff up, folks. Is that in your Bible? They look like you. They may sound like you. They may have the, use the same name you use. The sacred name you subscribe to. But what fruit? What's the fruit? What's the communication? What's the behavior? What's their attitude like? Are their lives aligning up with what he says? Or are their lives aligning up with what the church teach? See, if the church is teaching scripture, then that's one thing. But if the church is teaching something that is different than what the scriptures teach, then you got a problem unless you align up with what the scriptures teach. And if you align with what the scriptures teach in the church that is teaching something other than the scriptures, there's going to be some conflict. There's a conflict of interest. There's going to be some contention. Might even be a little strife. And either the truth will be embraced or you'll find yourself having to shake the dust. So the children, the tares, he makes no mistake about it. The tares is not some plant, just like the wheat is not some plant. The wheat, the good seed, are the children of the kingdom. The tares are the children of the devil. It's that simple. The enemy that sold them is the devil. It's not unusual for the devil to send people to church. Matter of fact, he's the pastor, bishop, elder, apostle, prophet in some of them, the lead minister, the moray, the zakin, or zakin. If what is being taught, don't, he's your mishpaka, <laughs> call him what you want. But you better make sure that what they're saying and doing is aligning with what is written. Because if it's not, you got a false something or another. The enemy that sold them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are who? The angels. See, it's not my job to separate. It's not my job to try to weed out. That's the word's job. That's the word's job. Well, what if somebody coming here and they ain't living right? Well, if you keep preaching the word, guess what? 
They're either going to get their act together or they're going to be driven out. By who? That word, that word is quick and powerful. It's sharp. You got to let the word do what it does. It'll do what it do <laughs> if you're preaching it. If you're preaching something else, then you don't care, especially if they're a good giver. The last thing you want to do is drive one of them out anyway. Because you got a building project, a building fund, you got some ministry, you want to you establish your ministries on different continents, you want to build, you want to build, brother. You can't be driving people out. No, you got to draw them in, draw them in, draw them in. Y'all go get them. Go get them. See, this is why you will find a lot of Bible teaching today is not addressing the issues that Messiah addressed. The desire of Messiah is that all men come to the knowledge of truth. Why? Because the truth is where you become free. And once you become free, then you're not, you're not beholden or obligated to somebody who's got a financial hold on you. I pity the day when somebody says, well, you know, I don't like what you're saying. And until, you know, you change your tune, I'll just put my tithes aside. You know where you and your tithe can go? Because that ain't going to happen. And I wouldn't be as, 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 as cold like that. But I'm going to tell you, I've had people trying to manipulate me like that. Well, Father told us to just withhold our giving for now. Really? Why he tell you that? Then why are you still here? What are you waiting on? You waiting on something to change? I have folks looking at you like this. It's like, really, you got some place to go? Ain't nobody holding you up. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be sarcastic or mean. It's the audacity of people that feel that they can actually control the Almighty or his servants. There are people who think they got that much power. I can buy you. No, you can't. I'm not for sale. And you shouldn't be either. You shouldn't be for sale. Now, I can understand trying to appease people and help them come to the knowledge of truth. But what if they refuse to? What do you do? Again, if something comes out that doesn't apply to you, don't take it personal. It's not for you. Take what's for you. And you know how you know it's for you? You start getting bothered. I found out that when the word was hitting me, I was getting bothered. But I wasn't getting bothered like, man, that word is just whipping my butt. I was getting bothered at the audacity that you got the right, you got audacity to be saying that. Who you think you are? You ever had those kinds of conversations? It's like, wait a minute, that don't apply to you? Does it apply to you? What are you getting bothered at? Why is, what that, why is that bothering you? Well, it, it ain't bothering me. It's bothering my friends. Or it could affect my friends. Oh, yeah? Are you saying that your friends are in the place they should be? Well, not really, but, but you know, you got to be patient with them. Well, you have to be patient with them. I don't. I can tell you there, there have been people who said, you know, I will send people, you know, give people your website and, and invite people to your, your, but your teaching is a little rough. I don't feel comfortable sending, sending folks to, to, to House of Israel. 
Okay. Well, then that's that you play God all you want to. If you want to play God and be the mediator between that person and house of Israel, then that's your prerogative. But I've decided I'm not going to try to do, you know, play God. Let God be God. Let Jehovah be Jehovah. And I just do what, what he's given me to do. That's all we can do, folks. I'm almost done. The son of man shall send forth his angels and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity and should cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Who's going to send the angels, the son of man, and who's he going to gather? All things that offend and which do iniquity. Here's another word. That word offend, meaning the movable stick or trigger or a trap, a trap. The enemy is constantly trying to lay traps. Constantly trying to offend, cause people to stumble. Our instruction is that we don't allow our liberty to become a stumbling block for other people. I have a certain freedom that if I exercise that freedom in certain people's presence, it becomes a stumbling block for them. You don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, but that doesn't give you right to do wicked. It's a matter of being concerned about people who may not necessarily agree with how you conduct yourself, even though you may have the liberty and the freedom to do that. Because your intent and your instruction is not to do any harm or wrong. But some people see things and they, they read into it. And you have to be careful that you don't do that. That's one thing. Yeshua says offenses must come, but woe to them through whom they come. And then in another place, he says, listen, the gospel is a offense to some and a stumbling block to some others. The truth is going to offend some folks. Iniquity, anomia, the condition of without law because of ignorance of it or contempt and violation. So what Yeshua is going to do, he's going to send the angels. He's going to gather those that offend and who do iniquity. Those who reject the law, those who don't keep the law, those who violate the law, he's going to gather them with those who offend and he's going to throw them in the furnace. I ain't making this stuff up, folks. I know it's in your Bible. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And these are my final slides. Yeshua seems to be referring to Daniel who wrote. It's interesting that he's using this term, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun after he's talking about the tear, the wicked, the devil's seed being gathered up and thrown into the furnace. Daniel writes in Daniel 12, at that time shall Michael stand up, Michael the angel, the great prince, which standeth for children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And that they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. And what is he saying here? He said, listen, we have a responsibility. We are the seed. We're the seed, the good seed. 
with a seed that is supposed to be multiplying, reproducing, producing fruit. These are not just fruit of the Spirit. These are tangible, evangelistic, communicating, discipling, applicable lessons from the parable to understanding sores and reapers is to be a sower of good seed. Yeshua made it clear to his disciples, says, when you go, teach what I taught you. Don't be making stuff up. I couldn't understand why some of my brethren in the Baptist church spent so much time trying to explain a trinity. What's all this energy of explaining a trinity and a rapture? It's like, did Yeshua spend time teaching that stuff? Was he teaching on a trinity? Did he teach on a rapture? Yeshua didn't teach those kinds of things. So if you're trying to teach them, where are you getting your teachings from? Yeshua sold the word in his disciples. His disciples sold the word into their disciples and so on and so on to where we are today. If you never sow good seed, the word, you will not understand reaping 30, 60, or 100 fold. And see, the way this works is you reach one person, and that person reach one person, and that person reach one person. And each one of those one persons who have been reached, reach one person. And each one of those one persons that those one persons reach, reach one person. You see how it multiplies? This is what he's communicating. And so the lesson applies to natural sowing of seed and a natural reaping from the seed sowed that becomes a harvest for reaping. The lesson can be applied to spiritual sowing of the word and a harvest of souls reaped from the word, seed sowed, just as a natural harvest reaped from the natural seed sowed. And the lesson really is to become a sower of seed. See, if you're scattering, if you're putting that word out wherever you go, you never know. You really never know. I had a, a technician come to our house Thursday, and he had a challenge, and so he sent his boss who came in on Friday, and the boss sent me a text telling me that they came by, checked, and they'll be getting probably with us by this Sabbath, I mean by uh, Monday, and to have a good weekend. I took that opportunity. I said, well, thank you. Uh, I'll look for you then. And if you celebrate the seventh day Sabbath like I do, then Shabbat Shalom. It's just an opportunity, but I wasn't going to let it pass. You know, you can have a good weekend. You can have a good Sabbath. And if in a parable type way, if he's interested in hearing more, guess what? He'll ask. But it was just a seed. We have opportunities to sow seed all the time. Question is, is are we taking advantage of the opportunities? And this is where you, you know, I ask Father for wisdom on how to do these things, how to do it in a way that is not offensive, but you're simply scattering a seed, throwing a word out there, and seeing if somebody catch it, because if they do, 
then what's going to happen is that they're going to inquire and they're going to want to know more. And I'll be happy if they do. Because now I can spend some time talking to someone who has asked for information than talking to folks that I didn't talk to who is not interested in hearing nothing else. Here's an assignment that I want to give you. I do believe if you've never planted a garden, some of these things about the source will not necessarily register. So I decided when I put this message title out earlier this week that I would give some assignments in a natural way. Grow a garden. So for the person who said, well, I, don't, I can't grow a garden because I live in an apartment. Get your planter. Get you some, what do you call it? Planting soil, potting soil. Buy seed. Now I'm going to tell you, because I've, I've planted in the pot, and unless I got the pot in a place where birds fly by and drop stuff or, you know, dandelion has a way. You know, every time that dandelion pops up in, in those spurs and you see them blowing and they land someplace, guess what? You're going to have a dandelion crop. Because I, I couldn't figure out for the life of me how a dandelion ended up in one of my pots. Big dandelion stalk. Right? Because nothing else is growing in there, no grass, nothing like that. So it had to be one of those spurs, just like the maple seed in the garden. I'm going to tell you, fathers, it's designed to scatter. That's the whole process of sowing is, is scattering. So if you don't have, then grab you a pot. And if you live in an apartment and you don't have your own land, you can just get your little pot. Give it some sunshine, give it some water, and hopefully it'll grow. If you don't take care of it, you know what's going to happen? It's going to die. If you don't take care of it, it's not going to grow. But the process of, I'm going to tell you, it'll do you better. Well, I'm not going to speak against folks and their pets because I know folks get pretty sensitive. Um, but you'll actually produce something you can eat. And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing like plucking something off of something you've grown and eating it. Connect. Um, we've got a, 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 a Facebook page, Biblically Clean Cooking. HOI, Biblically Clean Cooking. And there, you know, you can, you can post some pictures. This is just something light that you can do in the natural that you can actually begin to learn some spiritual lessons. You see, those who have raised animals understand what I'm saying. Those who have gone fishing will understand some of the things that I'm saying. Those who have planted gardens will understand some things that I'm saying. If you've never done any of that, then it would be hard for you to process it. But once you are able to process it and you begin to see how this thing works, then certain things in the Bible begin to make sense to you. Well, otherwise, it may not necessarily make sense to you. I mean, I think that's it. Well, two more slides and I'm done. Yeshua's model, and I laid this out last week, was discipleship, evangelism, 
reputation or reproduction, which is another way of saying the discipleship model. Because that's what he did, he reproduced. That's what we do, reproduce after our kind. Not just in the physical as far as children, but reproduction in the spiritual as far as sowing seed and bringing forth the harvest or producing a harvest that will be reaped. And then finally, you and I were part of Jehovah's divine strategy. This also is a mystery of the kingdom. And again, I say, sow some seed, y'all. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free eBooks on our ministry website at ArthurBaileyMinistries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.